for uh, whatever the reason, I preach this Sunday and next Sunday and then won't be preaching for about six weeks or so. It's just the way Eldership Elections, Nicholas Walterstorff, um, children's orchestras and various things pan out. And then I have three weeks in July. So rather than try to put a five-week thing together, two now, six, I just decided let's try and do two things in these next two Sundays. And so I took as my overall uh, text in that, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, um, I shall not want. And this morning the idea is to try and think of the, the God who is the shepherd, and next week, um, uh, what does that mean that, that we shall not want? And to do that, I'm going to um, look at Isaiah particularly um, for various reasons that will come out um, as we move forward um, in, in a slightly shortened time. A.W. Tozer, and I've said this to you before, I've used this quote before, and it's quite an amazing quote. I think it's actually, um, maybe, the, well, let me read it. It says it in the quotation. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I think that would start with um, the atheist. The most important thing, the atheist, uh, and the atheist thinking is what he thinks or doesn't think about God. Um, does God exist or does God not exist is one major uh, influence on how we live our lives. Um, but I, I don't want to get into that aspect of it today. I want us to think more in what we think about the God that we've been singing about, listening about, um, reading about uh, this morning already. Because what we think about God may be slightly imbalanced, which could throw all kinds of things into jeopardy. For instance, this week, um, I mentioned a few weeks ago, you know, some are for Bell and some are for McLaren and some are for Driscoll and some are for uh, the names that uh, I suppose Facebook and we mentioned, uh, we mentioned Twitter feeds at session this week and there was someone session I think who thought that was the box they had in the garden with nuts in it and uh, you know, uh, fair play to them uh, actually because I, this Twitter thing even for me but, but the I think because of the social medium, um, names like this, um, things that we say about the world leaders of Christianity, um, get far more chance to interact with us in our day. And of course, there has been this great discussion about Rob Bell's book, Love Wins, and we've touched on that in the past. But uh, this week, I suppose, in the realms of the uh, the human, um, uh, don't be followers of Bell or Driscoll, follow Jesus, but in the midst of the Bell and the Driscoll, Mark Driscoll, who um, would be not exactly a Rob Bell fan, um, did something about Osam, Osama bin Laden, um, and then he finished it by saying, justice wins, and they were carefully placed words, because they were playing off and a dig at Rob Bell's love wins. Now here's my suggestion. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
And if love wins, or justice wins, you may have two journeys of faith that will go down whichever one of those you balance out or don't balance out or imbalance. Talking to Reuben, I'm not sure that Lily has allowed them to come this morning. He preached last Sunday, and um, he was saying, Steve, does grace not win, and does that not mix the love and the justice? I tell you what, Bell, Driscoll, I'm McCormick. That's interesting. But what I'm saying is that whatever one of those affects, if love wins, and I don't mean if love wins, I mean if God is love in your mind and God is love in your journey of faith, if God is love at the very energizing of your spirituality, then you're going to be less judgmental, perhaps, than if justice wins. If God is justice, not sure we have the verse for that one, Mark, but I'm not saying that you couldn't build a theology around it and still be evangelical and reformed. But what I'm saying, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Um, Reuben and I were chatting yesterday about this because I was telling him this is what I was preaching on. He was saying, have you read Robert Farr Capon? And I said, no, I haven't, never heard of him. And then I went home and realized that was the book I was thinking of my next series of sermons on, but I hadn't read uh, who the author was. Maybe you should read who the author is. But anyway, um, he was saying that in a, in a parable, in a commentary on the parable of the talents. Now, it's a commentary on the parable of the talents. So let me just clarify, in Northern Ireland, even in Fitzroy, you've got to tell them exactly what you're saying and what you're not saying, or you could get yourself into trouble. But what Capon does at the end of this parable of the talents is, in trying to get us to think about the judgment of God, he says, God is not coming as a mother-in-law, checking that the china gift at the wedding is unchipped. He's coming as an old uncle, with salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other arm, saying, let's party. Now, that is poetic, not systematically theological, but it's the idea of the judgment on the parable of the talent specifically. But what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Because if your God is a mother-in-law always checking whether the wedding china is chipped, that's going to affect the peace of mind in your soul. But if your God is a beloved God like a beloved uncle who wants to come and lead us into this party invitation that Jesus talked about endlessly in the Gospels, that's going to affect the peace of your soul. The guilt. The grace. It's interesting because within evangelical Christianity, which holds so much good theology and things in it, I have for 25 years in ordained ministry pastored to people who actually, if they didn't have a faith, they would feel less guilty and better off. But their faith in Jesus has actually caused them to be worse off because the guilt on their shoulders because of the way they think about God has almost literally destroyed them. I don't think that's what the Jesus of the gospel wanted to bring. But it's how we take 
maybe even true ideas and distort them slightly or imbalance them. And it causes us all kinds of personal meekness and majesty. Now, there's the inspiration theologically of how to write a hymn. I'm listening to every word going, oh, my word. The theology in here is incredible. If he's a God who's... Then we might be fearful. If he's a God who's out there but is coming amongst us, then we might change our sense of fear to awe. So let me then quickly take us through Isaiah's experience. Michael read from Isaiah 40. When you look at God, what do you think about God? The first thing I think about, and oh, I've got scientists among us who are almost beyond scientists, or beyond double stars and all that kind of stuff. But they tell me, I, I get 18 um, in third year, not out of 20, sadly. Um, not out of 50, sadly. Even out of 75, it wouldn't have been bad, would it? But uh, out of 100. So um, science wasn't my journey, you know. They put me into the Presbyterian ministry stream straight away. And, um, uh, but they tell me, or people have told me, and I used to say, light travels around the earth six and a half times a second, but then somebody rightfully told my stupid science that light can't travel and that can't, but if it could, and you can correct me, I'm not trying to take any high ground here at all, but uh, they say if it could, it could travel around the world six and a half times a second, and that the nearest star, and this one always gets me, the nearest star is four and a half light years away, which means the light from that star left four and a half years ago. Might not be there anymore, but I'm looking at it. Now, you know, 18 out of 100, I my head just cannot even measure that. And that's probably basics. You know, don't get into where Tom Miller's talking about. And my head would, it was, it has been blown by this science. But what we're saying is, in this church this morning, that God fills that universe, that God is somehow engaged with that universe. He is beyond our understanding. Whether you're the best theologian in the world, philosopher in the world, or scientist in the world, you can't get near with your little finite mind what's going on when we start to think about this idea of God. And in fact, in the scriptures, it was as if it was like they don't even try themselves to suggest that they've got a handle in whatever language or grammar that they can describe this God. He is beyond Isaiah 57 that we read at the start of the service. I live in a high and holy place, so transcendent we're not getting our heads around it. And that's what Isaiah met that day when into the temple. Just as normal, doing the normal things. There he was, there was the building. He'd been there before, he's coming in and whoa! He met with not hymns or catechisms or sermons or readings. He met with God in a way that I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips and I have seen. It was a mighty, spectacular wow of an event for Isaiah. He came in some kinds of terms in his finite mind to, oh, I can't even grasp this. I think that might be why, and if we went into the theology of this, who wrote that bit of Isaiah and who wrote with that bit of Isaiah? But as somebody who can contrive even within a book certain links, 
Isaiah is probably the place you would go in Isaiah 40, particularly if you want to get some sense of the transcendence of this God. And he's also the place you would go if you want to get the servanthood of God, because the next thing that happens to Isaiah is when he realizes that before this God who is majesty and holy and beyond us, and he's going, I am ruined. That's his concept of God at that moment. If our concept of God is that kind of God, then we are ruined and we will carry around with us the guilt of that and the burden of that and the chains of that and the lack of hope of that and the despair of that. But what happens to Isaiah is that God moves and acts. And so this coal that touches him and it's said at the end of it, I have atoned for your sins. God transcendent becomes God who connects and touches with the individual Isaiah. The meekness and majesty connect because God's not just a way out there. The next bit of the verse I read at the start, I live in a high and holy place, but also with those who are contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly. That's God's big thing. He's not powerful so that he would come and check the china. He's powerful so that he would come and be our shepherd. So that he would be our shepherd. So that he would find the pasture. So that he would guide us through the rocks. So that he would be there with a staff to hook us out of this problem. Even in that reading that Michael read from Isaiah 40, that shepherd idea of this God who nobody can compare to, he became a shepherd. Isaiah knew a God, and before that God he was ruined, and just a few moments later, he's part of that God's mission. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Where is our God today? We started by suggesting in that poem, Music, that the God who is moving and alive in the universe is also in the pew, whispering our name, loving us. That whatever it seems the gospel was about, that it wasn't about us walking around going, I'm under the justice of God. I'm under the justice of God. I'm under the justice of God. I think it was so we would walk around going, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. I am loved by God. Don't want to get into justice winning or love winning. But I know the God, or it seems to me, the God that he wants me to know is the God who takes me as I am and loves me as I am and transforms me into who I can be and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But what we think about God this morning is the most important thing about us. How we will deal with self this week depends on who the God is that we've embraced. How we deal with spouse this week, how we deal with parent this week, how we deal with child this week, 
how we deal with neighbor this week, how we deal with friend this week or enemy this week, will depend on one question. What we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let's pray. Lord, we come to this realizing that none of us have a clear picture of the sovereign God. But we come also believing that you've given us the scriptures and that Jesus particularly has come so that the word might become flesh, so that we might find a revelation of who you are. And so we pray, even as we leave, even as we work this week, even as we visit friends this week, as we minister this week, as we do what we do during the week, that we would constantly be asking ourselves, what do I think about God? How is that affecting how I think about myself? How is that affecting how I think about neighbor? And how does that weigh in with the Jesus of the Gospels and the scriptures that we believe in? Lord, lead us into this incredibly important question. In Christ's name, amen.